2: Welcome, everyone, to the SI Media Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Trainer. Thanks for listening. Big show today. First time ever on the SI Media Podcast, one of the legends in sports broadcasting, sports radio, Dan Lebetard. Phenomenal conversation with Dan about his career, his time at ESPN, his new venture, and a bunch of other stuff in between. Excellent, excellent conversation with Dan Lebitard. I enjoy doing it. Hopefully, you guys enjoy listening to it. Salicata train of thoughts, follows the Lebitard interview for our weekly segment. We've got some NFL best bets. I'm 5-0, oh, so you might want to get on the bandwagon and uh, <clears throat> talk about a bunch of the topics in the news here. The Bob Costas calling the Yankees Guardian Series. We get into the Devontae Adams situation, pushing the fan. Um And uh, the Troy Aikman situation, Jeff Passan, all that controversy. So cover that with Sal in Train of Thoughts. Before we get to the episode, quick reminder, if you missed any recent episodes, they're in the archives. Check them out. Subscribe to the SI Media Podcast and give us a review on Apple. Uh, MMA journalist, WWE journalist, Ariel Hawani was on the show last week, Brian Curtis from the ringer two weeks ago, Rich Eisen three weeks ago, Andrew Marshan four weeks ago, Al Michaels five weeks ago, all right here on the SI media podcast, subscribe, rate and review. All right. Dan Lebitard followed by train of thoughts right now on the SI media podcast. Yes. All right. Joining me now, no need for a major introduction. He's one of the biggest players in all of sports media and has been for a long time. Dan Lebitard. Dan, thanks for doing this for the first time. I appreciate it.
3: I'd like you to do that again with a little more enthusiasm, like welcome in the new podcast audience with a little bit of fanfare. I don't need the, uh, you know, the Mets intro and the trumpets and everything, but I want you to have slightly more energy than. All right, let's get started. All right, let's see. Here we go. All right. Joining me now.
2: A man who has been a powerhouse yes. in sports media for many, many, many years. Now yes. on his own, doing his thing successfully with Dan Lebitard and friends, a cast of characters, entertaining constantly. Dan Lebitard.
3: Excellent. Let's try it again without oh. the, uh, the the vague doing his thing. I need more specific than that. Doing The doing of the thing needs to be more spe- more spectacular, <sighs> more colorful, more cartoonish.
2: All right. Here we go. All
3: right. Joining me now,
2: (laughs) one of the major, major players, someone with a lot of pull in all of sports media, (laughs) fresh off of pissing off Ryan Fitzpatrick and Michelle Tafoya.
3: Not that fresh sale off it, it, but okay. Yes. Recently (laughs) pissed off. (laughs) How's that for my tombstone pissed (laughs) off Ryan Fitzpatrick and Michelle Tafoya. Good night, everybody.
2: That's all you need to know. That's all you need to which one of those, which one of those interviews did you feel the guest misinterpreted your positions and what you were trying to do more?
3: i'm an awkward human being jimmy and my interviews can be awkward and i came in with both expectations on both of them i was not looking for a fight in either instance uh and i was surprised both times when a fight emerged so i i guess fitzpatrick was more surprising because i didn't think uh he would get upset about a question about a water slide and uh as opposed to Michelle Tafoya where I guess I instead of a water slide just a slide into hell right. which is what America has been doing over the last uh, many years uh so yeah both of them were surprising to me I'm never I am never looking to get into a confrontation for clicks right water
2: slide politics there does seem to be a little bit of an imbalance there on controversy controversial yes. topics
3: yes and <laughs> um I have just been surprised uh... recently i guess over the last few years of just how angry the discourse has gotten i'm not talking about fitzpatrick anymore i'm just talking about i don't know why i would be surprised by michelle Tafoya or that given everything i've been watching but i'm still somehow the guy who gets surprised in whatever city in alabama the viral video was from this weekend when a white dude is standing on a corner with uh, Black Lives Matter, and what drives past him is just car after truck after car of poison and hatred and people spitting bile. I, I don't know why that would still surprise me at this point, but for some reason it still does. I want yeah. to believe, I, I want to believe that we can get along a little bit better than we can be divided, but I guess I'm yeah. wrong on that one.
2: And on and on top of the division, you also have, you know, for example. You know, you have what Kanye West tweeted over the weekend. And, like, I look at that, and to me, anyone associated with Kanye West should cut ties with Kanye West. But then, if you do that, people scream cancel culture. And it's like, well, that's not cancel culture. That's him saying, you know, that he's going to go after an entire religion. It doesn't have to be consequences for that. But if you do that now, it's cancel culture. And then he's the martyr. And, you know, he's. it's already happening because he got kicked off social media. So now he's like this hero because he got I mean, everything is backwards. It's kind of just bizarre every
4: day. I, see,
3: I, I see it all the time in ways that are disturbing. Kanye West's anti-Semitism is the latest on a string of things that could have made people Dismiss Kanye West, but when you see sort of the general apocalypse surrounding all of us, the fact that we continue to listen to the um, the diatribes of a man who is famous and clearly not well, clearly in need of mental health help, The fact that we continue doing this feels not unlike some of the stuff we did with Charlie Sheen when he was proudly claiming that he was winning while descending into drug addiction. But every day, something happens that makes me think that I'm living somewhere between the apocalypse and idiocracy. I mean, I'm watching a video this weekend of a baby crowd surfing, uh, just person after person grab. I don't know how high they were how drunk they were grabbing a baby and bringing in on stage to be held by the very famous rock and why would you do that with a baby because the rock is so famous and I just thought to myself my god that's the pagan ceremony at the end of time (laughs) that is the that is what it would look like if you were feeding a baby to the rock because he was simply famous
2: I'd probably do that for the rock myself I have to admit but me too (laughs) um well, let me, we'll get into some other things here, but you're, you're, you know, I mentioned you're on your own when, what I meant by that was you were with ESPN for a while, left ESPN. You're, you're, you've started metal Lark, have this entire network in terms of blowback from people about your opinions, politics, has you, have you found it to be a lot easier to deal with out on your own than when you were with ESPN? I mean, There was the famous story with ESPN where you got in trouble because you had said things about Trump who had said people should go back to where they came from, which I found preposterous that you'd get in trouble for that. How freeing is it that you don't have to worry about that now?
3: It is nice not to have corporate overlords. I've never wanted to have corporate overlords. I've always aspired to be my own boss. So now we can say and do what we want. It's one of the primary reasons that I went with DraftKings and not behind a paywall and not one of these many companies that has a ton of money but has league partnerships with the NFL or anybody else that wouldn't allow me to speak freely, I you know now that almost every decision you make any day can have its compromises or its conflict of interest. From the car you drive to whether you recycle, there are all to who it is that your partners are. I, I'm sure there are many people out there who would say, uh, "Look at this guy, former journalist, gas bagging from on high mm-hmm. on his sanctimonious platform while working for a gambling company or a." You know, there are all sorts of moralities that can apply or be applied, and anybody out there can look at what I'm doing and cast their own judgments. But the reason that we did it was to get maximum freedom because I didn't want to be governed by anyone else's sensibilities, and renting my father's accent was not buying my voice. I'm sure now when
2: you left ESPN and decided to go out on your own, I would assume you had many, many offers from different companies.
3: Yeah, we had uh, we had options uh, mm. that were nice, you know, was nice. it was a difficult thing to do during a pandemic. But, yeah, there were mm. multiple offers uh, because coming out of ESPN, we have a popular thing that uh, that is pretty easy to monetize. Were you at all surprised even just a little bit of how much
2: your loyal audience followed you after you left ESPN? And how how good that feels?
3: I can't believe that we get to do any of this. I can't believe (laughs) that this gets to be a career, that it gets to be a playpen, that I'm 53 years old, and that any of this is stuff that can be profitable. And yes, I am surprised and always surprised by the allegiance of our audience. But when we were negotiating with ESPN, and Jimmy, a lot of people don't understand. They just don't understand the deal we made. But we got our intellectual property. We got our feeds. We were able to go. ESPN could have done a great deal of damage to my career and my business in the early stages of buyout negotiations when the Disney lawyers suggested, well, just pay him all the money and sit him just but that's not the way they wanted to do it they were willing to do it in a way that was closer to amicable and they just gave us all our stuff our feeds so the next day this is this i don't know whether it has a lot of precedent but it's a pretty unusual thing to go from you just broadcast on somebody else's network the day before and the next day all your stuff is yours and you can just keep bringing it to the audience that that's specific to this time and this place and i don't. I do not think that I'm so unique in this market to not be surprised that yeah. all of those people came with us, or that any of that was available to us.
2: That's, I mean, that was very gracious of ESPN to give you the uh, the feed, because
3: that that could be a thing where companies make a big
2: stink about something like that. So.
3: Well, you imagine, though, if we had just disappeared for 18 months in the climate right. of now and the climate of people need instant gratification. They need seven sources in their devices of entertainment and yeah. the people who are most addicted to what we do saying that the four hours a day we're doing isn't enough, that they want more. So, yeah, it's int- it's funny you say that
2: because I'm just thinking I'm thinking about Rachel Nichols because... I mean, I personally thought she got a real deal on that whole thing, but she was gone for a while, and now she popped up last week. And you're like, "Oh yeah, Rachel Nichols. Forgot about her, you know." But it it does seem like she's the type of person. You, I think you, you, I, I don't think I know you would have been able to do this. Where she would have been, she's going to be able to pick up where she left off. I think even with a little break, you would have been able to do. I think certain people can get away with it. You being one of them, but you don't, you don't want to be away for that long if you're doing what we do. I don't assume it though, because
3: this is. A very competitive space and the space i now occupy is a young person space so i don't simply assume that jumping from that platform which can make anybody matter i did not assume that it would just be during a pandemic of all things when when the content industry as you see it right is uh you see the struggles of netflix of hbo max of the economy of ever, of, 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 you see everything happening in the world right now. And I, I am thankful that you think that I would have landed anywhere on my feet fine, but I did not presume that. Right. I, it was very much, it was very much a leap of faith and a scary one. Yeah. Well, a big reason I
2: say that is, as I mentioned earlier, you have a rabid and loyal fan base. I've actually experienced it a little bit just in, you know, whenever I've written about the show or, or I've had Stu on the podcast um if you have i mean if you can offer me and my listeners any tips advice how do you build what do you think the secret is to building such a loyal fan base if you had any
3: advice about that. Okay. So that's a, it's a broad question. I believe our authenticity is probably something in there that people enjoy self-deprecation and humor, but the people who ride with us most ferociously tend to think, I would say, it's not just that they like something or that they, you know, this is a very intimate medium and we can be Uh, the friends inside your head it's much different than everything else it's different than television it's different than writing it's even different than radio although we have some holdovers from radio as well we exist by your choice, when you're exercising, when you're running, when you're bored, when you're at a bad job, when you're lonely, when you're going through a dark time. Uh, I, none of this answers your question, but there are a lot of places where you can be sticky with an audience because they feel like you, re- they really know you as opposed to just watching something on television or enjoying an experience uh, in entertainment. They feel like you're accompanying them during their lives and they feel like they know you a little bit. So when I get asked by, and this happens all the time to me, doctors, lawyers, or successful people who are like dissatisfied with whatever their livelihood is because they know that beast too well and they'd like to do something different. They look at what we're doing every day and they say, well, I want to do that. I love sports. Talking about sports with my friends, that's a hobby. That's fun. And A lot of people could do it but that bridge you're talking about to the stickiness of loyalty of finding an audience and having that audience stay with you for reasons like this that have nothing to do with entertainment they saw how we left espn they saw that espn let go of my mentor's son or a friend of mine's son And that we hired him back. And when you connect from that place, right, where they're like, well, Dan's not going to let Chris Cody be fired. Dan's not going to let Chris Cody get gobbled up by the machine. When the connection is there, I'd argue, Jimmy, that, and I don't, I do not say this with ego. I say it with gratitude, but it's hard to say and not sound like I'm saying it with ego. I don't believe, like, there's been a whole lot in the history of this medium that has our loyalty the, yeah, the, I agree. The, the rabid, rabid loyalty that starts somewhere near your soul that has more to do with the soul than it does with even the ears or the eyes.
2: Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think there's only like three or four you know entities like that um, around, and you, you guys are in that class. You, you mentioned ESPN firing, Cody.
3: I'm, if that doesn't happen, are you still at ESPN? No, there would have been something else. That uh, my contract, <laughs> my contract was about to run up. I, I think it would have been up this past August, a couple of months ago. There were things shrinking there, and we were being confined there in ways yeah. that were uh, not. Not comfortable uh, to me, or there wasn't enough freedom there. I've never negotiated money. I've never negotiated power. I've negotiated the freedom to do what I want, and so by the end there, there wasn't enough freedom. Something, if it wasn't that, but right before that, it there was something involving a moderation of a Joe Biden in in Miami with Florida Cubans that. I wanted to do as a journalist just as a moderator there were there were any number of things that were gonna pop up politically and otherwise that were gonna make it in in some way or another probably if not untenable to me untenable to them because I wasn't going to stay quiet over the last two years of what has happened in America just because uh, for some reason somebody wanted me to talk about Francisco Lindor (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't know how much you're willing to pull back the curtain but I'm gonna try here I'm just curious
2: Towards the end there with ESPN, those last couple of years, I guess starting with the with the incident when um, Trump said "Go back to where you came from," and you talked about that. How often was there headbutting with executives at ESPN over content? Was it a regular thing? Was it a once in a while thing? Was it always about politics? Did anything? You know, did it ever come up about? Bashing sports or ESPN or you know media. What was the how? What was the relationship like those last two years in terms I mean, I models?
3: generally would say that I come from privilege in this regard, so I have a different relationship with this than perhaps even Stephen A. Smith did. I had a lot of conversations with Stephen A. who played the game better with executives than I did and did a better job. Of navigating the corporate labyrinth because when you say how often was it happening once is too much for me now that doesn't mean it's that way for everyone and you got to eat some shit when you have bosses but no I don't and no I won't Mm -hmm. and so any amount is too much and it happened on politics but it also happened because they've got corporate agreements with Dana White and Rob Manfred and I'm running on the wrong side of those as well and I don't care that I'm running on the wrong side of those and other people get in trouble when I run on the wrong side of those so and any amount would have been too much and it happened more often than I would have liked but I don't know that anyone listening to this or anyone who's worked in this field wouldn't say, well, could be in a baby. You got to eat a certain amount of shit from your boss. That's how it works. Otherwise you'd be your own boss, which is why I am now my own boss. Right. Exactly. And
2: it's funny. I, I've interviewed a lot of WWE wrestlers over the years. And whenever I interview a WWE wrestler, I ask them for a Vince McMahon story because I think he's one of the most unique and fascinating people in the history of entertainment. And multiple times I've gotten stories from them where in dealing with Vince and battling Vince over something, whatever it is, storyline, salary, Vince, Vince has a line that he often uses supposedly where he says, sometimes in life, you've got to eat shit. So I like the fact that you're saying, no, you don't. <laughs>
3: There are compromises have to I mean, it took me, I'm 53 years old, right? right like it took right. me a long time and I had to do a lot of different things to arrive at what it is I have now, which is 30 employees and a lot of responsibilities and a lot of headaches that I didn't have at ESPN. I've never had employees before. I've never right. wanted to have employees before. And there are many things ESPN does well. And there are many places that ESPN can uh, protect you, but in the conflict of where America was at the time and asking me to sit out brown babies in cages at the border or mm-hmm. with my particular past of right. coming from exiles who had to flee for freedom and had to fight for freedom. It was not a birthright. It is front of lobe at all times. You can't ask me to sit out China stuff because you got theme parks In China, you can't ask me to sit out communism and threats to freedom and threats to democracy when I never wanted to work for the corporate overlord. I never wanted to uh, be beholden to what anyone else's voice was on that front.
2: Yeah, I've written this and I've said this. I I thought in your particular case, what I found absurd about that whole situation was You know, when you're doing radio, I'm not saying this to you, you know, radio better than anyone, but when you do radio, it's an intimate medium. And it's, I think radio, even sports talk radio is more than just sports talk. I mean, I, I'm, I grew up in New York, listening to Mike and the Mad Dog. If you poll New Yorkers who listen to Mike and the Mad Dog, they loved when Mike and the Mad Dog would talk about movies and the Oscars more than sports. I mean, it's just this, this thing where it's just sports. Now you mentioned your background. I don't understand how any executive, knowing what your background is, Cuba, Trump goes on a stage and says, go back to where you came from, and you're on the radio in this personal, intimate medium, and you're just supposed to ignore it. I get where ESPN's coming from in a, in a way, because they don't they're terrified of Trump and MAGA, and they don't want the backlash and being on Fox News, blah, blah, but that happened anyway. They weren't, by stifling someone, it didn't cause them, I mean, they have this reputation, which I think is absurd, but they have this reputation now of being like this liberal network that, you know is basically with the biden administration i mean it's, a, it's just a completely absurd take but that's what the result is even with them trying to stifle you it just never made any sense to me just as an outsider who observes media to ask you not to do it given your history background and you're doing radio
3: well i can make the argument that i was hired to do it and that i didn't change either the company or the country changed but there was very much a change where i fell on the wrong side of corporate policy because i was not to talk about that stuff because the dangerous thing tended to be at ESPN, the setting of precedent, that if I get to talk about it, then you've got right. to allow somebody else to talk about it. And this goes back to like Dan Patrick wanting a television in his office when he was hosting the biggest sports show in America. And he was told, no, you can't have one because then everybody's going to want a television right. in their office. And it's just a, it's a better way to not establish precedents is an easier way uh, to lead. And I was told, I mean, you've seen this, Jimmy, they've gone to commercials that, where it says they're going southier. There, where, and I love Marty Smith. God bless. Give me more Marty Smith. I'm here for more Marty Smith. But the idea of commercials, when ESPN used to make the biggest, best commercials, and now the commercials are we're going southier on this. Uh, they are trying to get the college football demo, which you can't blame them for. It's great right. business for them. They, why wouldn't they want the college football demo? They're in the business of customers, and many of the customers are tired of their analysts slanting things with whatever their politics are so i i understand why they why disney specifically disney in the fantasy business would say no thank you do not want those headaches not worth it you're disposable we'll find somebody else we'll find somebody else who does it without the headaches because we can put on anybody here and make them famous because we're still the four letters that matter in sports yeah i want
2: to get into what you're doing now but one last thing and you know, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I'm just
3: curious if you have oh, a take yes, on do. it. Oh yes, yes do. you okay. do. Oh yes, okay. You're 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 here to put me on the spot. Okay, I'm going to put I, you on the I spot. I am now right now standing on the spot. I am waiting. All right, here see we where go. Here it is that you you're filled with lies. I'm not. going to All
2: put right, you here on we go. Spot. you Point mentioned me Stephen spot. A. Smith. I'm a Stephen A. fan. I've become a big fan. I, I I love his performance art. I thought it was fascinating. This has gotten no coverage whatsoever from the people like me who cover sports media, but it's got no coverage. He quietly signed this podcast deal with Cadence. And when I saw it, I said, okay, now that's bizarre. He works at ESPN. He's signing a podcast deal with a different company. Weird. Then I see the, po- the podcast is not about sports. It's about politics. And he's gone on Sean Hannity to promote it and some other places that you wouldn't expect. And I'm like, well, now how come he's able to get away with that? And I'm not saying it, as an anti Stephen A, I like Stephen A. I just, I wonder what the ESPN executives think and what the machinations are of all
3: that, that he's allowed to do all this on his own. Value, power. He is somebody that they view as indispensable. And my agent told me, I don't know, it was two or three years ago, he told me, hey, what ESPN is going to do, Dan, is going to get rid of all its middle class. They're going to just have five or six or seven people that they pay really millions and millions of dollars. And now, it's in in the time since, by the way, Stephen A. is now underpaid, right? Because they're giving <laughs> Joe Buck, and Troy Aikman, and all these people more money. It used to be that John Gruden was the highest paid employee at ESPN at $6.5 million a year, but what's happened with you know, with me, with McAfee, with people who leave and and Dan Patrick and Rich Eisen, that you have enough name and enough brand power from being at ESPN, that we are now strong enough that Stephen A can, within the establishment, change some of the rules because they realize that they have to give him freedom because of the precedents being set everywhere else. They don't have to. I suppose they could do. It. The New York Times at one point, when they saw that ESPN was trafficking in the credibility of newspapers by allowing me and... Uh, we, When columnists were going on ESPN with the newspaper background behind us, and ESPN was buying those newspapers, those watchdogs, because all of a sudden they had journalists on television, the New York Times was one of the few that said no. You cannot go on ESPN and do that. We need you here. We need to keep you here exclusively. So many of these walls have crashed right now that ESPN can't keep Stephen A. there exclusively. He's got too much power, too much leverage. He's made First Take his own show. He's doing what he wants with First Take, and he's a signature personality there who who has done too much for them publicly where you can't help but give him everything that he wants because what's the point in denying him anything that he wants
2: so to piggyback on what you said earlier about the presidents he's got enough power where he can set the precedence then basically
3: it seems like it in a new age yeah. but it's all been forced upon espn right it's a whole changing yeah. climate everything everything is different now yeah. i would have assumed that they would have wanted that under their own banner but if he has a desire to speak about politics they're saying you can't do it here Right. You, they're actually making the rule of you're not going to set a precedent here, but if someone else pays you for it and you're willing to take the consequences there, then um, we'll we'll allow that. That's a that's a new thing, and I think it's a new thing only for him. I don't know that they're going right. to allow some second person to do it.
2: Exactly. That's why I find it fascinating, but that's just me being a sports media nerd. Um, all right. We'll move on from ESPN here. I, I want to talk about what you're doing now, but you I, this was something I wanted to ask you, and you had mentioned it about. The, times, the time of being a sports writer. Do you miss writing?
3: No. Writing no. is lonely. Writing hurts. Writing is not communal. I chose the the things that I chose in my 30s because uh, of how hard writing is. I enjoy going back to it, but I enjoy having written. It's fulfilling. It's not enjoyable. You did it for a long time too, right? You did it for about what twenty
1: five?
2: Uh, I mean, years? I've done it. I've done it. Yeah. I have re-
3: done it i i did it as recently as last week. I am I'm hurt and offended that you—you uh, you didn't miss You didn't go behind the paywall of the moment. You missed it, you asshole. This—this <laughs> this <laughs> yeah. You watch me. I'm going to go to FOIA and Fitzpatrick on your ass right now. How dare you not be prepared enough to have read Overhead. everything that I've written over the last ten years? It's a—it's
2: uh—it's—it's—it's it's, it's bad research on my part. I, I, was, I was more into researching the Fitzpatrick and the Tafoya situations. That, that's, that's because more you're
3: in this for the clicks.
2: Exactly. All right, so let's do this for the clicks. It, it, what is your all-time worst interview?
3: Zach Randolph. And why? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, he kind of uh, moaned and grunted his way through it. He was young at the time. He was distrustful. And my awkward playfulness uh, did not land with him, but I've got a few to choose from. I've, oh, let's hear it. I've, well, no, I've just created some awkward scenarios where not everyone is here for, Hey, can I pry open your soul and go through some of your dark moments and find where all of your vulnerabilities are. And they're looking at me like, I would, I thought I was here for a sports interview. What are you
2: doing? What do you, what, what do you do when you get pitched the, an, an interview? I know you're not booking the interview. I know you have a book, but like when you get a pitch, for someone who's a fairly big name, but you know they're pitching like Tide or Gatorade or Charmin or whatever, do you do those interviews and work in the plugs in your own style, or do you would you rather pass on those kind of interviews at this I point tend, in your career? Because you don't need that bullshit anymore.
3: I tend to pass on the big interview. Who's not going to say anything? Who I know, it, I, I've got no chance. I, I I'd like the challenge of a right. difficult interview or somebody. Who is reluctant, uh, but I have in the past not, not been terribly interested in just having famous person on just because they're famous to come on and say nothing. Um, I'd rather have the person who is interesting or colorful or might might make for something entertainment, entertaining who's less famous.
0: terms and conditions apply
1: as the number one audio company iheartmedia gives you access to all every audience live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and data you need to grow iheartmedia is your access company go to iheartresults.com for more my simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer
4: in response to attacks against asian americans
3: Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community.
2: There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together
3: and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council.
2: Who's been a difficult interview that you thought turned out to be a great interview? Because difficult, Cause difficult doesn't mean bad. Difficult means, you know, you might have to work to make it a good interview if they're willing to loosen up you know maybe midway through the interview or something i mean like it
3: that. it almost always sort of depends right on there are so many things that go into an interview i'm gonna think of one off the top of my head i can't answer this as there have been too many of them but i'm thinking recently mm-hmm. uh the actor michael ian black was on and i could tell after a couple of different questions that i had asked him that he was both bored with my questions and had heard them before. <laughs> and so what, digging myself out of that hole, finding the the connection points with somebody so that they get past an initial reticence to actually put down the wall and show you something or allow allow you to win them over those are those are ones that i enjoy uh because i do enjoy the challenge of a difficult interview the problem is when i fail the challenge <laughs> yeah. all i'm left with once i fail like i'm enjoying the challenge and once it's not going well next thing you know yes uh, my producer is but, back here uh but now they're yelling about kyle bush or bad kyle bush interview and they say that i do this thing like i'll give it two or three or four chances on somebody being an asshole to me and then i'll be the the blackjack dealer leaving a table where i physically clap my hands and i just i will actually do that i will clap my hands and be done with it because i've tried three or four times to allow you to hit me in the face with a fish because you didn't like my question (laughs) and uh and okay we're done here yeah i i i mean that i
2: you that's great that you can just end the interview after three or four questions that that's good power right there. Three or
3: four bad or awkward yeah. questions. Yes. Well, I mean, if someone doesn't want to be here, I don't want. Them. I, right. I'm not interested in a Guantanamo situation. This doesn't need to be a waterboarding. If you don't want to be here, you can leave. Right. I right. Mean, I'm, but I'm, I'm I, I of the- can't leave. The problem is I can't really leave, Jimmy. So I just do the blackjack table. <laughs> right. I do the, the hand so that you have the signal that you can leave. But I'm the blackjack dealer who does the goodbye gesture and then stays sitting in front of the microphone because I have yeah. to be a slave to the to, to the microphone.
2: I keep thinking of the Dan Patrick interview with Matt Harvey while we're having this conversation where Matt Harvey, what was it, Qualcomm? He put in every single answer at that, that point. That was that was a doozy. <laughs>
3: Uh, you've got to be able to call out these people on these things. Generally, what I try to do with that, it's not quite as overt as just, "Hey, please pitch <laughs> this product." We're we're in on the joke with our audience. Our audience tends yeah. to know when someone here is here just to shill something. So if we can if we can have fun yeah. around the shilling, that's fine. So t- let's talk about the
2: current show. Um, uh, you know, I really love the format. I mean, you've had this format for a while, but where you just have a cast of people. The mics are open and everyone participates. I mean, I grew up as a big Howard Stern fan, so I, I feel like I, that format is ingrained in me as something that's enjoyable. Oh, is, has that always been like, you know, you want everyone to get a chance, get more voices in there? What's, you know, it could easily just be you and Stu. Give me the thought process on the format for your show that works so
3: well. These people who have been with us for a long time are very much a part of the fabric of the dysfunctional family that makes this unlike anything else in sports media. I think part of the connection point is that you don't know where the funny or thoughtful or annoying or obnoxious is going to come from and the more people that you have knowing how to do what it is that we do uh the more help that you have to do it i'm aging stugatz is aging (laughs) we don't have any particular reason to connect with tiktok or 20 year olds i rely on these people to keep us young to keep us vibrant to keep us guessing uh they're all an important fabric uh element right you don't uh we have a lot of interesting people around us one of them is mike sure creator of the office parks and rec the good place and he said that they knew at the office when they had a hit show when uh people would come around and say you know who my favorite character is stanley stanley who is the 22nd person they're paying (laughs) hasn't spoken in five episodes because you never know where the connection points are for an audience i i met somebody the other day who had tears in his eyes been listening to us for i don't know how many years and was trying to explain to me why it is that he loves the shipping container the the room of Producers that have been with us for a long time, and many of them have seen, you know, many of our listeners have seen them grow up from kids who now to now having families. And what he said to me is the reason that I love the shipping container is because it feels like I'm in there. Like it feels like they shouldn't have the microphones. They shouldn't be allowed to have the microphones that the construct of what it is that people in this industry do, that they're supposed to be the behind the scenes people. And I, and I like that. I feel like I'm in there with them. So you just, you never know where it is that a listener, there are plenty of our listeners who hate me. Don't, don't like Stu God's, but you don't, you, the, the way that you cast a, a broader net is by having more voices than just your own. I used to do these things at ESPN. They were just one-person essays. Me, Lupica, and Album did uh, you know these floral poetry readings. And very soon, they weren't parting shots. They were just something that SportsCenter was doing. They were grabbing sports writers and having them write things for 90 seconds. And what came back pretty quickly from whatever their research was was I want to hear more people I want to hear the other side of this and then debate television was born from there I hate debate television I don't want to do debate television and Stephen A Smith while he's a lovely cartoon character who was a journalist and still has journalistic credentials he's very much embraced television as entertainment I think television is stupid I think (laughs) debate television is stupid I don't want to argue for two hours about whether the fourth and one decision by the coach was mathematically correct. I want to argue about that for six minutes, not for, for two hours. Yeah. I hate
2: debate bait television too, unless it's Stephen A and Chris Russo. That's sort of my only, I, I, you know, I do feel like, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of hypocrisy in things. Like I'll say like, I don't like this, but there might be one instance I like, or like, I'm I'm not into this show but then i'll watch like it's hard to be consistent in this business there's there's always like little things you might like so like i hate debate shows but i can't stop watching Stephen a and chris
3: russo only but you you say that you say that and it's funny that you say that because do you remember when first take was the worst thing on espn do you remember when it was the thing that was most criticized when you asked me why does Stephen a have those powers there's your answer right because it ain't that anymore it's the hood ornament now like it's it's He has figured out how to evolve and how to evolve the format. No matter how grotesque anyone finds it with their sensibilities or judgments, there's no disputing that that show and he is a success the way that we're doing it. And furthermore, that it spawned Fox's most original thing like that in having Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp do the same thing copycatted in a in a different format
2: yeah I I mean I don't even consider that like a real show but that's just me
3: well Um, no you but you (laughs) can cast your judgments on it but there's no disputing that that form of television look man skip Bayless is 70. like he's 70. the the idea that that form of television And I, yes, of course it's instigation. It's silly. It's professional wrestling. Well, I actually think it's, I actually think that show is a different level of silly.
2: I mean, I think someone, I think it was, maybe it was Stephen A. I think Stephen A sometime in the last month or two made the statement that Skip's whole thing with LeBron is not performance art and it's real. And I tweeted, if that's the case, he should be in a hospital, Skip Bayless. And I'm not kidding. If all of his stuff about LeBron, if that's authentic, he needs help, in my opinion. I'm not a doctor, but that's how I feel. Because that's bizarre.
3: It is profit. And it is something that is easy to televise. And it will be on the tombstone of Skip Bayless's obituary most famous for hating lebron it's in a very- deranged way uh yes in not a sane way but <laughs> when you say in a deranged way is that not just a less efficient way of describing fandom in general oh listen
2: may I, I listen i write this all the time in my columns. sports fans are deranged you have to start any conversation about sports with Sports fans are deranged. Did you it's, just
3: quote your own column? Did yes. you that, that was a real lupica you did there? As oh, I as now I wrote, you're really insulting me. As I wrote in my column. Yes. I know as, I mean, t- as, as I've written many times as I've written words, many. Those are your words, Jimmy, not mine. I didn't mean that as a as an insult.
2: Well, I've written it many times, and the most recent time I wrote it was last week when college football fans were ready to explode because of the split screens. Like I am in agreement that the split screens during a Clemson-Wake Forest game is ridiculous and the should have done it, 100%. But it's the reaction where you act like your life has been altered in this manner for a two-minute at-bat. I mean, how long is an at-bat? Two minutes, maybe? So for two minutes, you had a split screen and people were ready to basically go to
3: Bristol and burn down the campus over there.
2: That's... There's levels of derangement. It's it
3: was a funny disconnect, point. though, to see old timey baseball standards. It it was it, to me. I loved watching all of it just because you had baseball and its marketing partnership, and uh, you know its allegiance to ESPN. Both of these entities working to try and build a sports star out of nothing, to try and manufacture. I mean, I mean, I shouldn't say nothing. I mean, he's a home run hitter. But these are two entities working together to create a televised sports being that matters more. And it was interrupting Wake Forest and Clemson. Yeah. And, I, and I'm like, man, I don't know that there's a greater sign for baseball dying at our doorstep oh, yeah. than that right there, than how mad young people are that minor league football. Minor league professional football is being interrupted by the Yankee star who has a bunch of home runs. Man, things have changed. So that is an excellent
2: point. And let me just – I'll brag about my column again, which you seem to enjoy when I do this.
3: But I'll well, give you, you – don't so, read mine, by the way. You seem to read yours a whole lot, but you don't <laughs> read my columns a whole lot as you think I'm a retired writer. Well, you know what I – okay, listen. So here's the deal. I write this column – or. I
2: don't know. I might've been just on Twitter where I talk about how over the top the reaction of the college football fans were. They acted like they were being held hostage and kidnapped for two. Okay. Someone responds to me, I think on Instagram and they say, well, you're a Yankee fan. Imagine if someone did a split screen during a Yankee playoff game. You have to understand Clemson wake forest is the equivalent of a Yankee playoff game. Thank you for making my argument and pouring my point.
3: I don't think you proved your point.
2: No, no. That guy proved my point that he's I deranged. I don't, I
3: don't I don't believe, yes. You think Clemson-Wake Forest is a playoff game? College football, <laughs> college football fans are deranged. Yes. Okay, you thank you. You could have, yes, but <laughs> and, yes, they are deranged, <laughs> but I am not going to judge the college football fan who says I prefer <laughs> the 11 minutes of total football action I get <laughs> in Clemson-Wake Forest <laughs> than a Yankee playoff game because I don't care about baseball because it feels to me like cricket because baseball (laughs) feels like cricket i don't understand it i don't want it i didn't grow up with it and i don't like that i'm not getting enough action i understand what you're saying you live you live in new york you're old enough to remember that yankee baseball games used to matter like that they do not anymore you uh but but the media empire that runs these things and makes the decisions at espn to do the cut-ins those are people that are similar in sensibilities to you.
2: Yeah. Yankees still matter here.
3: It base, it's
2: baseball overall that, that has issues. But speaking of baseball, um, I want to tell you the moment I became a Dan Levitard fan, if I may.
3: Yes. I would know, yeah, love that. Today. It's one of my favorite conversations. I go around all over the place. Tell me when you became a Dan Levitard. And
2: I will. 2014, when you gave your Hall of Fame vote to Deadspin, when Deadspin was a thing that was, you know, cutting edge, and I could, I couldn't, I can't tell you how much I love that story because I've always been of the belief that the Hall of Fame is a complete joke. And again, getting back to sports fans, sports fans being deranged, I love people who get so upset that someone doesn't have a plaque. I mean, we're talking about a plaque here and people get so people are sports fans are so into trophies and plaques and all these metal things that aren't meaningless. But, you know, once the Hall of Fame decided to shut down the steroids, people, I was like, "How, how can anyone if you don't think Barry Bond should be in the Hall of Fame? How it's it's a museum. Can we just not take it this seriously? And then you gave your vote to Deadspin. And I and it was not appreciated by your overlords at the time. Tell me your <laughs> memories of that whole of that whole um,
3: that was segment. that was uh, that was my first conflict of any sort at ESPN. And somehow I was surprised by it. Vince Dory, a great sports editor and a a great uh, person when it came to editorial judgment was running ESPN at the time and was confused, asking me, uh, among other things, well, why wouldn't you just do it on our platforms? And there was a whole history there with Deadspin that I didn't even know about that I had a blind spot about. So I didn't realize that I was actually hurting people at ESPN that Deadspin had embarrassed. So there was a, a collateral damage there that I had not accounted right. for. But uh, I told Vince, "Well, that ruins it. <laughs> if I, like that, that's just all sh- that. That's even more look at me than I already was. It's one of my favorite pieces of performance art." Uh, in in this silly thing that we do the fact that um, I did have the principle and the integrity that I was able to cloak in as the disguise for the look at me in like jazz hands and I'm doing this thing that is my principle but also this is all so very stupid and if you take my vote that is fine because who cares all of it is stupid
2: it was wonderful It was, it was what the hall of fame does. And then they, I love that they took your vote as if that was going to really just do
3: some damage to your life. They did. They did take the vote, but there were, there were plenty of old timey baseball writers. They're the ones who protect the thing, right? Right. They, they did not like, and it's a nice power to have. I'm not going to lie to you. Like I, my father, I think, well, no, he doesn't have a Heisman vote anymore, but he, he sent it back. Uh, once he retired from the television show but right. it's nice to have those it's nice to have those votes it's nice to have that power but it's not so nice that uh well the the aaron the aaron judge thing they just did it again jimmy they just did again i imagine as you bring that up from eight years ago how i experienced the aaron judge thing when I gave up my Hall of Fame vote because they very much wronged Barry Bonds. If we're not doing this about moralities, we're just doing it about excellence. And the Aaron Judge thing felt to me again, eight years later, like, let's tear down Barry Bonds again. It's not enough that we ran him out of the sport at 40 with an OPS over a thousand and getting on base half the time. On top of that, we're going to race him again because we want to trot around Roger Maris's kid as a mascot. Well, I've always said
2: that The Bonds thing has nothing to do with the steroids. It's because he was a dick to the writers, and that's how... I mean, A-Rod got suspended for a year, and now he's working for ESPN and Fox.
3: I mean, it's personal. It's not about the steroids, in my opinion. It's not just that A-Rod got that suspension. A-Rod also, and I encourage everyone here to see the Rock on Tour movie, Screwball, which not enough people watch, but... A Rod made a big show of totally fake histrionics where he's running around lying, kicking nice. briefcases in a meeting with the commissioner, and all of it is just, it's just, it's just total acted out non-sec, nonsense fakery. Right. And now he's,
2: you know, there's some weirdo in Bristol who has an A Rod fetish and they make him call a playoff game. It's
3: bizarre. Is it. An A-Rod fetish, or is it just he's really famous as a baseball player? And you you will notice, right, at ESPN, uh, there have been an occasional Pippen or or Jerry Rice or Emmitt Smith are the great ones at playing but not great at broadcasting. And I think A-Rod is better at broadcasting than those people are. So he's got the combination of name, fame, and, and willing to work for ESPN, which not everyone... Not everyone is willing to do that, especially if they have to go to Bristol to do it. That's all fair, but my counter to that would be nobody likes A-Rod. There's
2: nobody, There's no. There's not a baseball fan across the country that's like, I can't wait for
3: Ray rod to broadcast this game. Does it matter whether they're likable or not? Do likable broadcasters move the needles very much, or are you trying to just traffic in the credibility of we've got a famous name here who says baseball and we don't care how stained it is? I just don't like a rod okay very good I'm glad <laughs> for your honesty there and you just cut right through it there you go yeah, I mean, you're not the anyone. only one not only do you not like a rod you just made it so that no one likes a rod not J-Lo not and you just made it well, we so no she doesn't no one on earth likes a rod is what is where you just put it which I'm not sure is totally accurate
2: I did say except for a weirdo in Bristol who has an a-rod fetish okay the one oh, Norby okay <laughs> <laughs> Whoever it is, I mean not, you know. I'm just it, it, you you're you're in there with the fans more than anyone. You ever hear anyone say, you know, that was a great call by A-Rod last night or I enjoyed listening to A-Rod do that game or A-Rod brought something. I mean, Al Michael, people watched Colts Broncos the other night for Al Michael's basically. I'm shitting I'm, all over the game for three hours.
3: I'm hugely confused in general by the disconnect that I find with broadcasters where I don't believe many of them actually move the needle empirically with the broadcast. And yet, when you visit the deranged sports fan, what you will get the most passionate about very often is, I can't believe Joe Buck is rooting against my team the way how active, how much I hate Joe Buck. All right, or, I, or uh, Joe Buck makes me have strong opinion X, even though most of the time most of the broadcasters don't move the needle. But yet here you are, and it's a cottage industry reporting about media and broadcasters because someone's interested in Well, oh, People are interested.
2: People are. I mean, that's what when people say to me, "Who cares about this?" Oh, like, All yeah, I, I'm like, well, I can give you the traffic report to my column, and you can see who's interested. I, I, I wouldn't. SI would not be paying me if people aren't interested.
3: But but it's a weird disconnect to me, right? Because I don't believe, maybe I've got this wrong. I know John Skipper, the CEO of Metal said he did numbers crunches and said, a broadcaster has never moved the needle on one of these games. Like, people who want to watch football are going to watch football no matter who's broadcasting it.
2: Agree. I think, I agree that the broadcaster is not going to move the needle. I do think two things. One, I think a broadcaster can make you enjoy a telecast a little more, if you like them and if you think they're good, a la Al Michaels, for instance, Joe Buck, I feel that way too, and and many others. The other thing is now that we're in this social media age, while a broadcaster will not move the needle, and you know this better than anyone, the executives at ESPN, Fox, CBS, they don't want their broadcasters being trashed 24 seven on social media, whether it moves the needle or not. They don't want to deal with that, which is why I think these people are now getting, you know, I think ESPN paying Joe Buck and Troy Aikman for how many years every Monday night was ESPN getting trashed on social media? Now that's come to an end for the most part.
3: It is hugely funny to me that Jimmy Kimmel one time came on our show and seemed genuinely baffled as an outsider who at the time was just doing you know like the funny segment on Fox that Rob Riggle does or or Frank Caliendo used to do where a comedian comes in and this is our in in the fun and games department this is our isolated playpen for where the comedy is allowed to exist outside of the chuckle fest and Jimmy Kimmel (laughs) seemed genuinely baffled by the sheer number of television executives who were very worried about what Rudy Martsky was going to write in USA Today about what their broadcast was and how small that thinking had to be because you're not actually leading or governing with strength about what it is you want and the conviction of what it is you want. You're waiting to see what the television critic at USA Today tells you about what you've put on the air
2: hundred percent i will say too in, in doing I, i'm curious what your experience is i and i actually enjoy speaking to media people like yourself and the play-by-play guys and the analysts because i think they do good interviews i'd much rather do that than interview an athlete I, it's very rare i shouldn't say it's very rare but may i don't know maybe it's 50 50 where you get a good athlete interview what, what do you think about that
3: Kornheiser doesn't interview athletes for that reason and had a very popular show because he liked to talk to writers and authors and friends. Uh, I will remind people who might not be old enough to remember that before 30 for 30, ESPN was doing Sports Century, and Sports Century realized that writers sitting down in front of a documentarian would unspool stories that would be great and would help you build the fabric or the tapestry of a really good documentary i don't agree with people who think that or dismiss athletes as dumb because i believe that to do what they do to sculpt it you have to be excellent at that thing and get really smart about that thing and it might be to the lopsided detriment of your personality and you might not be what others would describe as smart At other things, because to get to the top of that ecosystem requires an obsessive compulsiveness and a discipline to being smart at that, that might not make them as great at interviews. But I enjoy anybody who's willing to open up or be introspective. There's just very little... Value in that anymore for mm-hmm. athletes. I don't yeah. know if you've checked the social media accounts of Brady and Jeter and stuff, but they're they've got people handling all of this stuff for how it is that they get presented. Jeter started the players' tribune, at least in part, because he's like, why are athletes always just giving away their stories to media entities that aren't paying for it? And then also, in the transaction, taking the juiciest parts of it and playing gotcha and aggregating and getting them in trouble, why not allow them to tell their own stories? That yeah. that leads to where it is we are now. And this, this is something that Metal Lark aims To have a corner in where do you want your athletes to tell the story that magic johnson is telling on apple where it's antiseptic or that jeter told on espn where he's partnering with them on how his story gets told and in exchange for access that russell westbrook or edelman or boogie cousins gives you in the showtime documentary you're going to get an antiseptic sanitized version of their truth that doesn't have the honesty in it that perhaps awards an all account given to you by a journalist might have right. so long answer to your question is I just want to talk to interesting people and there are fewer and fewer reasons for athletes to come on here and be interesting with you because yeah, we're I've, we're takers we have to take things from them and they're like why would I give that away to you anymore I don't have to
2: I right, let's well in all seriousness we'll end it with this you're a radio legend now in the podcast YouTube world what is Dan Lebitard's I want your all-time favorite
3: radio show the the one that I've listened to the most because I can't really say that we have had a whole lot of influences in that front. We've gone I've gone out of my way to mock the entirety of the establishment, right? So I I grew up in South Florida with listening to sports radio a certain way, and I just decided when I got into it that I wanted to do it much differently than that. That I thought much of it was silly. So I can't say like I've been one sports radio show over the years you've
2: liked listening to.
3: I don't listen to very much of it now and i haven't listened to very much of it because i found it sort of inherently empty i i was i was very bored by the construct in fact jimmy i've told this story before but when i was in when i had arrived in my late 20s at all of the jobs that i wanted and the professional success that i wanted and found that it wasn't uh, quite as enriching as i hoped it would be and was looking to where it is that i would transition the, I'm not kidding you when I say, I looked at sports radio and I'm like, okay, the bar is so low on this <laughs> that the person doing the show is farming out his responsibility and job to Ed on a mobile so that that person does the job for them. That's the construct of sports radio i think i could jump over that bar if i have to change careers if i have to evolve if the if you put the bar that low i think i can jump over it so i i don't mean to be dismissive of it it's just not something that i've ever listened to other than to mock yeah you're you're entitled to that opinion
2: and i appreciate it and i appreciate the time i had a lot of fun thanks for doing this and i'm thrilled to have you on here for the first time I, i enjoyed it a lot thank you
3: thank you sir i appreciate it
0: Terms and conditions apply.
3: Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat gets in your head, right?
2: Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot, fast, and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.
4: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick
2: Yes. all right joining me now for our weekly train of thought segment from wfan radio in new york sny tv my buddy sal Licata. i didn't know if he maybe would bail this week after the mets were eliminated but here he is good job being, being a professional
1: <laughs> yeah right that was uh Honestly, after they got swept by the Braves, that was the worst for me. So it sucked that they got eliminated, but dealing with the sweep of the Braves, nothing will compare. To that.
2: <clears throat> we detailed Sal going viral last week. So if you <laughs> missed it, check out last week's train of thought segment. We're not going to do it again. Did, you went to all three games at City Field?
1: Unfortunately, yes, I did. And I will say that it was, like, you've been to plenty of Yankee playoff games. I cannot believe that they actually did not mm. sell out game three of that. That to me is an embarrassment.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't know if I'm with you on that. From a, in a, I just think, I just think the way things are now with the cost of everything, true. It's it's pretty tough to rip people. I and I I I didn't look into specifics, but I saw enough articles and saw enough tweets and heard enough things on New York radio about the prices for the tickets were pretty jacked up.
1: They were now on the secondary market. You can get them cheap. I just have a hard time. You no, know, it's a, it's a New York franchise. They haven't been in the postseason in six years. I was shocked that they did not sell out a game three a potential clincher. So Sunday
2: night, Sunday yeah. night, people with work and if it's an NFL day, I, don't, yeah. I, I just think when a bagel with cream cheese costs five bucks, I can't rip people for right, not, not, not wanting going to, to the game. Yeah. because it's not just the ticket price. You know this. You got to pay for the parking. No,
1: it's ridiculous. It's and ridiculous. then God forbid
2: you want a drink. And then you know <laughs> right. you you, you you're up shit's creek basically.
1: You're in for a thousand bucks to see the Mets' funeral, and that's no. basically what fans wanted to avoid.
2: Yeah. Um, when you were at Game Three, and it became evident they were going to lose, were people? What was the mood in the stands? Are people like nasty? Were they depressed?
1: Yes, they were nasty, very nasty. Uh, matter of fact, I would say, even though like I know it's not a sellout, but the crowd in general. It was thirty six thousand, thirty nine thousand, whatever it was. It was it felt like a July baseball game against the Padres, not wild card postseason. So even before they got down in the game, yeah. the crowd wasn't good. And then once they got down and then started to get beat up pretty good, the crowd was very
2: Yeah. Angry. That tells me that what you said earlier is true that sort of the bubble burst for the Met fan with the Brave series. Right. More than the Padres. Did you get any verbal abuse at City Field over the three nights?
1: Uh I did. Oh and, shit. Yeah, and the one now most people, and by the way, it was I mean, we didn't talk about this off the air, but it was incredible the amount of people that recognized. Me. Like I was legitimately famous yeah. in City Field, which I was hard to believe. But and most people nice, want to take pictures, just say hello. But there were I guess somebody got wind that I was sitting in the section that I was in and while the Mets were losing. Now remember I'm there with my eight year old nephew, my brother-in-law and my cousin. I'm just trying to watch a game, you know, whatever. If somebody says, hello, I'll take a picture. No big deal. These two guys who were looking for confrontation stood up, turned around toward the back of the section and were yelling, where's Sal Licata at? Where's Licata? We know you're here. Where are you at? And I of course didn't say anything. Now, you know me like me i wanted to be like i'm right here what do you want to do about it? you want to take a picture you want an autograph you want to like what, what do you want but i can't do that so i didn't say anything and just de-escalated the situation no, but nobody pointed
2: you out nobody was like oh the jinx is right here no
1: no <laughs> no, no yeah my brother-in-law was like he's right yeah, here no yeah. nobody.
2: <laughs> the guy who doomed the Mets, that motherfucker's right here go get it him it was
1: just it was just a bizarre <sighs> feeling but yeah, yeah to have to be called out like that right and, you know, a couple of guys are yelling out over,
2: like blaming me, right. but whatever. <clears throat> All right. All right. Well, let's move on. We have some topics to hit. We have best bets to give. I am now 5-0, and o, Sal over 500 at 3-2. So we'll do that at the end here. Um, well, let's start with a little baseball. Where do you st- – I, I don't know how, how much you're going to be locked in to the Yankees series. You have to be basically for your right. job. Where do you stand on Bob Costas as a play-by-play announcer?
1: Oh, my God. Now, this is a great topic for you and I. I love Bob Costas doing baseball in the late 80s. I love nostalgia. However, I thought he, with all due respect, was terrible. A terrible listen last night. Zero because, personality
3: okay. talking
1: down to you. There was wow. arrogance there. He's doing a game as if it's 1988. It's not 1988. As much as I love that, you've got to evolve. I did not think it was a good broadcast at all from his perspective. I hate to say that. You don't have to hate to say it. You're allowed to be honest. Well, because I know he's a great broadcaster. I have respect for him, but that was not it.
2: I didn't really listen much. I, I listened to the radio, so I can't really offer a judgment on it. But, you know, I don't know. I have this weird thing with Bob Costas because back, I mean, going way, way back when I started Hot Clicks, you know, I was always sort of when hot clicks was around especially that, i was sort of the voice of a fan more than a media reporter or a writer. I, I still wouldn't consider myself a writer and you know back then everyone genuflected at the feet of bob costas and i was like yeah i'm just not a, like i'm not a fan and yeah like nuts and bolts technically great broadcaster but i just I always feel like the attitude is I'm smarter than you. You're an idiot. I'm going to lecture you. I've always right. felt that about him. And I wrote something negative once about him and he called and we had a lengthy phone conversation. Um, and he was a nice, he was nice on the phone. But the problem with this business and for what I do in, in, in terms of critiquing media is you're not a, like, it's okay if someone's not my cup of tea. Like, Bob Costas is not my cup of tea. And that's okay. Right. Everyone should be okay with that. But, you know, everyone gets bent out of shape and they take things personally. Like, you know.
1: Well, that's why I say hate to say it because I know that, you know, if I say it on the overnight, people don't care about what I say right. about Bob Costas on the overnight. But maybe here they do. And I have great respect for him as a broadcaster. But it just was not. Uh, and you're right. I got that sense that he's lecturing. And I don't want right. to. And it's also about personality where he may be the best ever to be technically sound and a brilliant broadcaster his personality is not it doesn't fit in today's media world for me personally right. so i'm with well, he
2: baseball's a you know baseball's in a tough spot and it's a much, they're in a much tougher spot i think than the nfl and the nba from this standpoint you know if they throw s- someone like a bob costas who i don't want to use the word old I, I, he's an old but old he's school old, old school old school. Okay. Of a certain generation, of a certain age, people rip it, rip the decision to use him because, you know, it, it feels not fresh. And then if they try something fresh like Apple TV did with their broadcasters, they get ripped for that. Baseball, it's hard to find the middle ground. Now, I do think what's interesting about the Costas thing with TBS, Brian Anderson is doing the other series that TBS has the guy who got squeezed out because of Costas who did playoffs, I think the last couple of years who I love and think is phenomenal is Don Arsillo, who used to be the Red Sox announcer. Now he does the Padres. Like, I think that's like a perfect guy to do playoff baseball, not too old, not too young, not, you know, so different. Like the Apple telecast, not an old fogey, like Costas. like, but he got squeezed out because I, and I understand TBS wants that cachet. Like you said, he's a legend. So they want to, be able to use the name Bob Costas on there did you see I wrote about it in in Wednesday's trailer thoughts did you see the promo they did for the house of dragon show
1: I I did at least I heard about it I was
2: stunned Costas agreed to that because the thing starts with him going we almost didn't play this game tonight and when I I saw the clip on Twitter I'm like what it was 70 degrees in New York it was beautiful sunshine out of what are you talking and then it turns out to be this just cringeworthy promo. I, I was, I could not believe yeah, they got Constance to like, do that.
1: You know this. I can't get, and this is where Twitter drives me nuts. Like everybody wants to rip everything. What do you think is paying the bills, you knuckleheads? If they tell you as a broadcaster, hey, you got to do this promo, as bad as you may think it is or not, you're doing it because they're no. a sponsor.
2: He hasn't. Well, first of all, they're not a sponsor. It's it's all in-house promotion, like well, HBO. Whatever. Well, HBO Max is is owned by the same company as Turner. So it's straight promotion. They weren't making money. Okay. But Bob Costas has eno- enough pull where he can say, can we change this sentence or can we change this dialogue? He doesn't have to flat out refuse to do it, but he can. He has the power.
1: But then he's he, being a jerk if he does that. Like no, your he's boss not. Asked you to do, yeah, he is. If your boss is oh, no. you to do something that is for the company, whether it's a sponsor, whether it's just promoting the same brand. You do it. Like, it's not well, that yeah, he, difficult. Right. He can
2: do it, but he can also ask, like, hey, can we change this line or can we change this sentence? There's nothing wrong with him doing that.
1: Right. I mean, I guess. I don't know. I don't have a big deal. I, I couldn't care less. Why do people make such a big deal of it? It had nothing to do with the game.
2: Because when something is cringeworthy, that's what we react to.
1: Yeah, but that's to me, is just sad where we're at. But you're right. Like, everything's scrutinized now. I get it. Everything
2: outside of the game. Well, okay. What about? Here's another topic. Devontae Adams pushing the guy.
1: Little different story. I mean, he pushed somebody. You can't act like that. A, how about, a commercial how, or a promo is different than pushing somebody.
2: How about people who have come out and blamed the guy because he ran in, in the way? <laughs> okay, so if someone runs in your way, you push them? No, you try to either like dodge them or you like, you grab them and like say, oh, hey, yeah, he pushed him." How was
1: And it wasn't just like a bump into kind of push, extend your arms. It was a shove. He shoved him right. to the ground. I know he apologized since, but that was that's horrible behavior like what do you got
2: i do think it's weak though the guy's gonna like file a rep- police report and i mean did he say that oh yeah th- he yeah they charge him with a misdemeanor now so like a fine or something like right. he's got he's in some kind of trouble the guy said he now got a concussion he should
1: push up but before then he shouldn't i mean that's uh, uh, <laughs>
2: the guy said he had a concussion so who knows all right so then all right you don't want people ripping the Awful TBS promo. Well,
1: oh, I just don't care. You could do it. Obviously, everybody can do whatever they uh, want. Me, it just does nothing for me. It's, it's irrelevant. Right. It's a stupid okay. promo.
2: I would imagine though what is relevant as a Falcons fan was the roughing the passer penalty.
1: I thought the I thought the one on Monday night was worse. But I mean they're both obviously bad. Uh I if, I agree
2: with you for this reason. The one on Monday night I thought was worse because the guy actually like took the ball and it was a fumble. How could he ever and I thought I don't want to sit here and act like I'm in any way, shape or fo- any way, shape or form defending the one from Sunday on 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 Brady Jarrett Brady. I could see where the ref thought Jarrett need him. I thought or, or got up and kicked him or something like that. It looked like I don't know maybe Brady sold it. They're both horrifically bad. I mean, there's no other way around it. Right. I think. Tell me what you think of this. I think each coach should get one roughing the passer r- r- challenge per game outside of their regular challenges.
1: I mean, it's too big of a play. Yeah. Well, that's my issue is that it's ruining the sport. 15. Look here. You can't do anything to a quarterback anymore. You touch him in the face, 15 yards. You tackle him low, 15 yards. You grab him by the waist, throw him Mm. around 15 yards. You fall on him 15 yards. You can't. So either we got to get to a point where it's flag football or everything should be reviewed. And then a judgment call, but even then it's still a judgment call and you leave it in the hands of these knucklehead referees. So I don't know the answer. But you cannot tackle the quarterback in today's NFL. That's the bottom line. You can't can't really even touch him. Otherwise, it's going to be a penalty.
2: I'm glad you said flag football and then go Troy Aikman on us.
1: Oh, no. I mean, (laughs) what do you think I am? I'm no misogynist. Here's here's what I'm fascinated
2: by. I I love Troy, too. And I'm fascinated that Troy didn't apologize, which I don't think he should have because I don't believe in the fake apology. But Jeff Passon apologized for his tweet.
1: I saw and it's, that.
2: I wonder because Troy is such a big wig and making so much money, he can do what he wants. at ESPN a little bit, but I thought it was interesting that one. And I also think Troy's smart for not apologizing because I think once you do that, then you keep it going for another day or so. So
1: and maybe um, just let it go. I but you. But and I also think he said. Look, there are we're in a world now. We, we there were comments in sports, phrases in sports, and in society. Right. But we're sticking with sports specifically here. Right. That were said for years that me as a young kid heard, learned, used without ever thinking what it actually means and how disrespectful it could be. I think that's one of them.
2: Here's the truth. I'm going to let's be. Can we be honest? Sure. Everyone still uses that phrase. They just don't do it in a public forum. They do it privately.
1: I mean, I I guess I don't. It's different as a broadcaster with my mentality. I mean, maybe
2: not, maybe not that specific phrase, but a lot of phrases that we're not allowed to use on social media, we use in real life with our Correct. friends on it. You know, so right, but, but then you all. should
1: know the difference. You know, Troy. <clears throat> right. in As a broadcast, you can't say that. Well, I'm not here's, saying he's a bad person, or he meant ill will, or he meant disrespect. But right. if you understand what that comment means, you would never say it on the air.
2: Well, I I do think. I do think the outrage about it is a Twitter thing and not a real life thing. Like, I don't think anyone in the real world was really like that offended and had their world rocked by that comment. But on Twitter, like this goes back to what you were saying about the other thing. Right. Like on Twitter, it's just so easy to go on there and go, oh, my God, Detroit can just say wedding dresses. I'm so offended. It's so misogynistic. It's so sexist, blah, 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 blah. I don't think it's a real world thing. I think it's a Twitter thing. That's my opinion on it.
1: Yeah, I don't... I, look, I don't know the difference anymore. I mean, you like, I, I want to believe that what happens on social media and Twitter is not real world, but the world that you and I live in, it seems to be a pretty significant part of it. Right. So well, I, here's I what I'm know. saying.
2: Here's what I'm saying. And you have the right attitude because you're on the air, live radio, three to five hours every night, half hour on TV. Like, you can't say anything. Like, don't even... Right. Like, you should always err on the side of not saying anything. But here's my point. Troy Aikman... Goes on Monday Night Football and says, "Take the dresses off or whatever the line was," mm-hmm. and everyone on Twitter flips out, and the internet and everyone goes crazy. Right? Here is what I mean by real—not a real world thing. I guarantee you, if you were in Arrowhead Stadium on Monday night, you had plenty of people saying, "Oh, what do we go? Why don't we just put dresses on them?" Right? You know what I mean? Like that is a comment that's being made probably throughout that whole entire stadium.
1: Right? But don't you think that? that phrase in general where like it's, it was a normal phrase to say that. Right. Whatever. It could be a phrase like, Oh, stop right. we acting. are in different times. Well, that's what I mean like if, if my father would say, you know, 30 years ago, stop acting like your sister, stop acting like a girl, or don't, how about this with baseball? You throw like a girl. Right. Nobody, am, like I never actually gave it a thought how that could be disrespectful, but obviously you take a second to think about it right. and it is. So in this particular case, that's what I think that we're at, whether people actually acknowledge why it's wrong or how it's, uh, you know, disrespectful. Well, I, well and I necessary. also
2: think I also think and I think this was the case with Troy. I don't think Troy was thinking about the disrespectful angle of it. I think he was just using a phrase that's been used for years, well, that's, and, years right. and years.
1: And that's exactly my point. So right. I don't think he meant any harm. But right. we as we evolve, you learn and I try to think and, and say, right. well, why can't you say crap like that anymore and it should be obvious
2: right right I think I think Troy's not saying that again on TV that's for sure and like yeah I know like don't use that phrase when I'm writing my column for Sports Illustrated and Troy probably should but but I do think intent and context is important like i don't think he was like oh let me insult women by making this statement i think it was a phrase it's a phrase that's been used he used it he shouldn't have used it and and
1: there have been other people in recent years that did have the intent to disparage or diminish women well like jim rome
2: with with jim rome with um jim everett when he kept calling him chris chris yeah right that was an intentional you know
1: and even a recent, I forget, but maybe there was something. Um, I forget exactly what it was, but mm, maybe female yeah. athletes getting some crap from some guys and trying to make it like they were less than. Like, if you're doing it intentionally, that's a whole different level right. of right. assholery. Like you, right. you obviously can't do that.
2: Right. I think that. Yeah. Exactly. And I also think I what I don't what I also don't understand is if someone does say something offensive. I don't. If someone says something that offends me, okay. This, and I can't really think of much that would. But let's say there is. I don't I'm not going to be then satisfied because ESPN makes the guy do an apology. Like, I don't understand the desire for the fake apology from people. Like, what is what does that serve? It right. Just makes does no that make
1: anybody me. feel better? It, it, I never I don't even pay attention to it. because yeah. We all know the truth anyway. He's not sorry. Now, I'm not saying he wouldn't be in this case or whatever, but in general, the well, I don't know. Forced, I wouldn't
2: say he's not sorry. I think he, I think he, it was like a lesson more than, you know, he probably right. didn't really, you know, didn't, I didn't realize that phrase was banned.
1: I, I didn't mean him specifically, but the times where we've seen the forced apologies, right. most times people are saying it because they feel right. like they have to, as opposed to actually being sorry.
2: Right. So like, for instance, I don't want to bash your guy, but this is the first thing that comes to mind. Cause it's hot and fresh. Like Kanye West has now come out with all these anti-Semitic comments I saw something today where they got him on tape saying positive things about Hitler. Okay, fine.
1: Oh, my God. So if I Kanye comes you. out
2: and apologizes, that does nothing. It doesn't change All what right. his mentality is. His mentality is still the same. So what's right. it, why do you need an ap- apology from Kanye? That I
4: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Let's go now into a whole different gear and go to the best bets because we got to switch. You're rolling. Between. So I'm five and zero. Oh. I had San Francisco last week. Very, very easy. I knew Carolina was shot, ended up firing the coach the next day. Baker Mayfield's a mess. I, I love that matchup. So um, Sam Fran minus six last week was the winner for me. You had the Patriots. Excellent. You know, I couldn't believe, you know, we had taped early in the week and you picked the Patriots. So many people I saw on the Lions. Lions were like a hot pick last week.
1: Yeah, I felt like that might be the case. They're trendy. They score a lot. Oh, New England with the third string quarterback. Uh-uh. B, right. B. And it turned out to be a a yeah. rocking chair.
2: I, you know. I think they, uh, Jared Goff is okay in certain spots. On the road, outdoors, in New England against Belichick, that's not, not a spot, <laughs> yeah, so that was a good yeah. call by you. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> um, all right, this week, so I'm 5-0, and oh, Sal's 3-2. and two. You got a pick for this week?
1: Yes, I do. You want me to Hit go me. first? Hit me. You go first. Three, all right, so three straight, see if we can make it four. I There was a couple that I was, you know, I thought about taking the Packers, bounce back, but I don't know what the Jets really are, and I don't know what the Packers really are. Um, maybe the Ravens, but the same thing. I'm I'm too close, so I think the Giants could be competitive. I'm going to go with the Cowboys and take them plus the six. I do not believe Philadelphia is that good. I think they're good. I don't think they're that good. good. And Dow's defense can slow them down. I think they can win the game outright. You're getting six. Division rival maybe a close game, field goal game. So I feel comfortable about the Cowboys trying to reestablish themselves as the top team in the NFC East. Give me them plus six this weekend.
2: I don't love that pick only because, like, the whole Cooper rush is undefeated. But, I mean, he threw for, like, 100 yards last week. they're running
1: and play defense.
2: On the road in Philly, I don't think that's going to cut it. You're going to need something from the quarterback. So, I don't know if I love that pick. It's funny what you said because I wrote down two games. I didn't like the board at all this week. Don't like the board at all. And it was a struggle for me to find anything. And I wrote down two games. I wrote down the Giants plus five and a half at home against the Ravens and I wrote the Jets plus seven at Green Bay, and I was trying to figure out which one to take. I'm going to go with the Jets only for this reason. I mean, I, I'm i going to go for, with the Jets for this reason. They're getting a touchdown, whereas the Giants are just plus five and a half, even though the Giants are at home. Jets go to Green Bay. I just think, I don't think the Packers are that good. I just don't. You know, struggled against Sappy, third-string quarterback for the Patriots, lose to the Giants. I think the Jets, if they can continue... Feeding Bryce Hall is very smart. Mm. I just like getting a touchdown in this game. I'm not. I don't. I'm not saying the Jets going to win, but I do think it will be close. I don't think because the Packers have so few weapons, if any weapons at all, it's at wide receiver. I don't think they're built to blow teams out anymore. Their offense yeah. is not going to blow people out. So I, with the getting the touchdown, I'm going to go with the Jets plus seven.
1: I think it's a ballsy pick. I, I just I feel like the the norm would be oh. Packers off a loss, returning home against the Jets, who are the Jets, even though they've won a couple of games. Yeah. So, what do you think the Jets are with Wilson and Hall and you know, uh, Garrett Wilson as well? <sighs> they have weapons offensively. Can they slow down Rodgers? It's a fascinating game. I think we're going to actually learn about what both these teams are this week. So that's why I kind of went the other way on that one. But I think it's yeah. a ballsy pick by you. I
2: like getting the touchdown. If it was, you know, line was a little lower, I might not like it. But like I said, the Packers offense. You know they have the two running backs, obviously, <clears throat> with um, Aaron Jones and and um, oh my God, I'm trying to blank the AJ Dillon. Yeah, but when they have to throw the ball, they got major problems. So I think the Jets can keep it close.
1: I love this. I took a loss with the Jets in Week One. Maybe I can gain a game here with you going with your hometown team if you well, slip up a little bit.
2: I will say this, and this is a fact: the Jets don't cover. You will never <laughs> hear me mention them the rest of the season. They will be. That's it. <laughs> I I hate betting this team. The franchise has been pathetic for fifty years. I'm not, but I'm gonna I'm gonna dabble and take a chance here. I uh, so, love it. All right. So Sal has got Dallas. I've got the Jets, and we'll see how we do next week. Sal, I would say enjoy the Major League Baseball playoffs, but probably I can't. not. Yeah, Although,
1: just just so you know, I did bet the Yankees big to win the American League. Not only the series against Cleveland, but to win the American League. So I what, am right there along with. What
2: it. what line did you get?
1: Uh, like plus two hundred, something like that.
2: Oh, okay. So you before got the playoffs. There. Before yeah. the playoffs. Yeah. Don't get excited because they beat the Indians, uh, the Guardians, one game. That's not yeah. going to cut it. <laughs> all right. Is there a team? Are you, Do you? With the Mets out, is there a team you're pulling for to win it all, to win the World Series?
1: Uh, not really. I mean, I. Look, the, the traditional underdogs, Padres, Mariners, um, I guess, Cleveland. Um, no, I just don't want to see either the Braves or the Phillies. That's all that I care about. Get both, I can't wait for Sunday where at least one of them will be eliminated.
2: So if it's Yankees, Braves, or Yankees-Phillies, you'll root for the Yankees?
1: Uh, I'm not sure. It depends how, much, how the Yankee fan is over the next three weeks. It, it depends how we get there. How Definitely am I? not the Braves. How, Braves, how am I?
2: Am I a bad Yankee fan? No, you're
1: fine. You're fine. Read, fine. Here, here's what I do. Read my Twitter mentions, and then you tell me who, who you'd root for if you were me. So I the have, Braves are out. I want them out or nobody. And whoever plays them, that's who I'm rooting for.
2: I have read your Twitter mentions a few times over the last couple of weeks. It ain't pretty. <laughs> it ain't pretty.
1: <laughs> I'm and rooting me, and, against everybody.
2: And let me tell you, you know, it's a weird thing because I want to be a good friend and offer advice, but you also don't want, you know, like we're adults, you're allowed to do what you want. So like I'll scroll through Twitter and I see you tweet and I'm going oh, no, why is he tweeting just yeah just stay tweet away, for a few days just stay away and then there you and you know you're, when you tweet you're not you know it's not usually no, nice light breezy I, it, yeah you come, I come in, in hot, hot <laughs> yeah I come I'm just going right I'm now. going should I text him? should I tell him to <laughs> stop what should I do you know <laughs> so. All right. Well, we all have our wishes at Twitter. All right. We'll see you next week, Sal. Thanks. All right. Talk to you later. All right. All right. My thanks to Dan Lebitard and Sal Licata. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed the show. If you do, get on Apple, leave a review, give us a five-star rating, write some words that you like the pod. It's appreciated. We'll read them on the pod down the road. If you missed any recent episodes of the SI Media Podcast, go into the archives and check them out. Combat sports journalist Ariel Hawani was on last week. Brian Curtis from The Ringer two weeks ago. Rich Eisen three weeks ago. Andrew Marshan, Al Michaels, Matthew Berry, all recent guests on the SI Media Podcast. Dip into the archives. Check them out. Subscribe to the pod. Give us a rating on Apple. Leave a review. We'll read it on an upcoming episode. All right. That wraps it up. Have a good week. We'll see you next week. Stay safe and take care.
0: terms and conditions apply
1: let's take a moment to breathe deep inhale extend your spine remain focused on what you're doing if safe to do so exhale slowly leaning to one side inhale back to center if safe to do so exhale slowly to the opposite side Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council.
4: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics,